No person, including you, can compare with the Lord. Now, God cares about you, and He cares for you. While He is the Almighty God, He's also the gracious Redeemer, and that means that He's worthy of your complete trust and devotion. In light of that, it's only appropriate that, like the psalmists, you'll determine that your praise of God will be continual. Today on The Wisdom Journey, Stephen's lesson is called, Our Invisible, Invincible God. As we arrive today at Psalm 144, well, David's enemies are making his life miserable once again, and he cries out to the Lord here in verse 7, Rescue me and deliver me from the many floodwaters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. The right hand, by the way, symbolizes power, authority. In the ancient days, it was typically the hand that held the sword or the knife. It represented the power to hurt or even execute. So shaking someone's right hand was a practice that began in Greece 500 years before the birth of Christ. It became a symbol of peace. By extending uh, your right hand, it showed someone that you weren't holding a sword or a knife in your hand. I've read that the shaking motion was practiced to shake out a knife that somebody might be hiding up his sleeve. So the handshake became a common greeting of friendship that communicated peace. Well, let me tell you, centuries before that handshake custom began, David is pointing out here in this psalm that the right hand of his enemies wasn't peaceful at all. He says here in verse 8, Their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. In other words, they probably got a dagger stuck up their sleeve. In this case, however, it's a weapon of words, deceitful words about David, intending to slay his reputation. Now, the context of this psalm may be the return of David to the throne soon after his son Absalom attempted to kill him and steal the throne away. Well, David's back now. But he's surrounded still by political intrigue. He's got secret enemies within the palace. I mean, they might be shaking his hand, so to speak, but they're not to be trusted. Well, David does the only thing anybody can in that kind of situation. He prays to the Lord here in verse 7. Stretch out your hand from on high and deliver me. Well, the implication uh, here is that this would be God's right hand. This is God's right hand of power. It's a hand that can deliver David from his enemies. And that's his prayer request in this song. Now, with that, we come to Psalm 145. And this is the last of the nine acrostic psalms collected in the book of Psalms. Now, you might remember that an acrostic psalm uses a consecutive letter from the Hebrew alphabet to begin each verse or stanza. So in English, that would mean the first verse begins with the letter A and the next verse begins with the letter B and and so on. This poetic device was more than likely used to help people memorize these psalms. 
Psalm 145 also begins the final psalms of praise, as they're called. These last few psalms, they they really form this grand doxology for the entire collection or the book of psalms. It's like singing the doxology at the end of a worship service where where we, we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. One author comments that the entire book of Psalms has been driving us toward this this final destination of praise. Well, now, here we are at the gate of that destination. There are multiple words in Psalm 145 for praising God. You'll have the word extol, which means to talk about how great God is, and you have that here in verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King. In other words, I'm going to talk about how great you are. You also have the word bless, which means to speak well of God for his generosity. David writes that here in verse 2. I will bless your name forever and ever. Another word we find here is the word praise or praised. And that refers to glorifying God for his his wonderful attributes. That's verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Now, there are more words just piled one on top of another in this grand doxology. David speaks of commending. He speaks of meditating, pouring forth, singing aloud, giving thanks. A total of 16 times in this psalm, David finds a way to praise the Lord. And he wants to make sure we understand how long he's going to praise God and how long we're going to praise God, because three times here in this psalm, he speaks of praising God forever and ever. Well, that's for all of eternity. Why? Why would we praise God for all of eternity? Well, he tells us here in verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. You, God, Open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Think about this, beloved. David is writing this psalm now 3,000 years ago. Now, these words are just as true today as the day he wrote them, and that's because the God he's praising hasn't changed for a moment. He is still entirely worthy of all our praise today. Now, as we sail along on our wisdom journey and and arrive at Psalm 146, praise is essentially still the wind in the sails of the psalmist. It's still on his mind. It's still carrying him along in this grand doxology. He writes here in verse 1, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. Then he he delivers, if you'll notice, this warning here in verse 3, Put not your trust in princes, in whom there is no salvation, When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. 
you know, despite that warning, it seems that people are constantly looking for that one person, uh, that one ruler, that one individual who's going to lead them out of their collective misery. I've lived long enough to know that while God appoints his candidates to their political offices, to their thrones, well, we can't put our hope in any of them. The psalmist writes it this way here in verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Well, look what he can do. Verse 7, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Beloved, there's nobody in power today who can open the eyes of the blind. There's no human being, no matter what their credentials, uh, no matter what their promises, no matter what their campaign speeches are about, uh, they're no match for the God of Jacob. And let me tell you, the God of Jacob has never been elected to office. He's not up for any re-election. His office is eternal. Why? Well, he's the sovereign king of the universe, and his reign is forever. Now, as you might expect with those truths in mind, that uh, Psalm 147 is going to be filled with praise to God. You'll notice in this psalm here that Jerusalem, as well as Zion, which is another name for the city of Jerusalem, uh, this is the place where the Lord's temple was located. It represents worship and glory related to him. Now, just because Jerusalem might be a long way from where you live today and and the temple is no longer standing, well, that doesn't mean that this psalm is out of date. There's a new Jerusalem coming in the future. It's described over in the book of Revelation chapter 21. It's the place where Jesus Christ is going to reign one day in his thousand-year millennial kingdom. This this grand city of God, the Father's house resting there made of gold, which eventually becomes the eternal home of every true believer, both Jew and Gentile. Well, this psalmist seems to be pointing us to that glorious reign, that glorious kingdom day. He says here in verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem, that is, he rebuilds it in all its glory. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Now, in spite of looking forward to that glorious reign of Christ on earth, the reasons that he's giving us here to worship God are actually in the present tense. He says here in verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Verse 6, he lifts up the humble. Verse 8, he prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. And so it continues on through this psalm. You know what this is doing? This is reminding us today, beloved, that we have many reasons to praise God. If we'll just look around, we have, we have many reasons today to give him praise. Praise him for his saving grace. You might even praise him for that rain shower you had the other day, which meant, well, you had to mow the lawn, but at least it's green. Right now today, in the midst of your crises, under the weight of your burdens, as you experience perhaps some some painful loss, remember that God is present with you. He might be invisible, 
but his kingdom power, his right hand of authority is invincible. His plans for you, his promises to you, well, they're still true. And all those promises will one day be realized. Well, with that, we're out of time for today. Until our next wisdom journey, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. What a great way to begin this new year, thinking about and committing to our praise of God. Stephen called today's lesson on this wisdom journey, Our Invincible, Invisible God. I think it would be a great idea for you to commit to follow this wisdom journey each weekday in 2023. If you do, God will use it to guide your life and help your journey through this year be a journey of wisdom. Join us next time.